Listen to shoot the defense. It's unbelievable, Jeff. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Shoot the Defense. I'm your host, Stel, and my co-host this evening is Double D from the DND Footy Factory. D, how you doing, mate? I'm all right, thanks, Stel. How are you? you right? Yeah, good. Thank you for joining me, mate. Really appreciate it. Excellent. No problem, man. Superb. Now, our guest is none other than head coach of USL side Tulsa Roughnecks, Michael Ensien. Michael, welcome to the show, mate. Thank you for joining us. Hey, uh, I appreciate the call and I appreciate uh, being on the show. Looking forward to it. It's an absolute pleasure, mate. Again, thank you ever so much for, for joining us. I know you're a very busy man at, at this time of season. Um, so let, let's get cracking with the questions. And, and Michael, before we talk about your coaching career, mate, tell us a little bit about your time as a player. I understand you had a spell at LA Galaxy and representing Nigeria under 23 level. Is that right? Yeah, well, LA, I wouldn't say so much stellar. I was kind of a role bench player there, but, um, you know, that was a championship team in 2005. Uh, which, you know, before that, I was uh, after college at University of Dayton and uh, got, got in touch with Nigeria. They got in touch with me and they invited me in for qualifications uh, for the Olympics 2004. Wow, so that's, that was in Greece, is that right? Yeah, well, we, it was in Greece. We weren't. We didn't qualify. Uh, but um, I, it was a great experience for me. Actually, my dad is Nigerian, so that was my first experience of me going back to Nigeria and I was I was there for a lengthy amount of time through that qualification process that's, that's interesting because I spoke to Marcus Gale who represented Jamaica at the World Cup um, and he yeah. was telling me that a lot of the British based players were working with open arms in the Jamaican national team despite the national team qualifying without them um, what was it like with you joining the under 23s did they treat you differently because you're from America yeah, I think, you know, uh, kind of stuck out like a sore thumb, wow. you know, being American. But um, the, the guys were nice. I mean, they, they're they interested in American culture and, you know, what, what music am I listening to? You know, what boots am I wearing? You know, things like that. What clothes do I wear? So I think a lot of uh, a lot of the guys is kind of fascinated with American culture and what we're into. So they were all kind of buddy-buddy and nice guys. So it was a good experience from that part with the, with the players, yeah. Fantastic. And you mentioned you had a brief spell at LA Galaxy. I mean, was that roughly when uh, Frank Yallop was in charge? No, it was Steve Sampson. So Steve Sampson. Frank Yallop, yeah, Frank Yallop came in the next year, and that's when I was out. So and Beckham came in, and that's kind of my, uh, I, I say, as a claim, my claim to fame. Beckham, I was going out one door. Beckham was coming in. I just said they were trying to clear up some some money for him. So that's when they <laughs> let me go. <laughs> Well, I mean, Steve Sanson was a very, um, very uh, experienced coach. I know that he was a national team manager for a while, for three years, and he was at Costa Rica as well before LA Galaxy. Um, was he yeah. kind of like a major influence in your decision to become a coach? Yeah, I mean, he was just from an intellectual standpoint, you know, uh, just learning under him. Very sharp, very bright guy. Um, there was uh, there were some other guys, Billy McNichol, some assistants there. And uh, Afshin Gabi was to me was a very influential coach. He kind of he kind of ran most of the sessions day to day. Lots of like uh, technical tactical work was done by him. And I would say he was probably in that in that situation probably someone uh, I, I still a little coaching sessions and points from more than others. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Excellent. Excellent. Um, 
being born in um, Tulsa, how how big yeah. is football over there? What's the what's the main sport in Tulsa? Oh, Tulsa is a football country, man. Uh, American football country. So, heart of America. We have Oklahoma Sooners, who's in the semifinal for college for the national championship. You know, okay. so it's uh, they had the Heisman Trophy winner again this year, back to back, first time that's happened. So we're big time American football um, state. Oh, okay, okay, interesting. So that's it. Was it hard to in so uh, in regards to? you getting into football. What drew you to football or soccer, Rafa, obviously, as um, you call it over there, with it not being the most, like, fancy sport or favourite sport, let's say? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay calling it football, man. My dad's Nigerian, you know, so (laughs) he was my my first coach, you know, um, you know, when when there weren't many Nigerian, you know, guys in Tulsa, you know, in the early, mid-80s, when I started playing four or five, um, it was all that I knew as far as the sport. Now, my family on my mother's side are American, so, you know, basketball and football were the thing for them, but my yeah. dad and I, and I hardly ever left his side, and, you know, I hardly left the soccer ball either, so um, most of those other sports weren't an option until I got a little bit older and kind of wanted to impress the girls and things like that, but um, for me, for me, it was, uh, it was always soccer. It was always, that was always the first sport, 100%. Oh, okay, okay, excellent. And uh, and in regards to um, your career, obviously you said that it was only uh, a, a brief stint being called up for the Nigerian under-23s. And, um, obviously, in terms of your football career as a whole, before you got into coaching, was there anything that um, you would have done differently, let's say? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, I... I hate to, my, my wife's not going to listen to this, I don't think, so, I mean, I, I'll be honest, uh, you know, when, when, at that time, I was in L.A., and, you know, barely able to pay rent for an L.A. apartment, and then, uh, uh, then I was moved on to Portland, so I was with Portland Timbers, uh, while they were in the, it was A-League then, but USL, um, you know, it was tight, you know, it's, it's a grind, just like these guys that I'm coaching now, you know, uh, the motivation has to come from somewhere, so, when I got married or, you know, started to get into a long-term relationship and you're thinking, uh, if I can get moved on again, how's that going to look? Or, you know, it's not like I'm making six figures or more and we can live on things for a little bit, you know. Um, if I was single, probably would have stuck with it, you know, and there was some expansion at, at, during those times. So I imagine I would have got back in the game at an MLS level. Uh, but I think it was just one of those times that I said, hey, if I don't bounce back right away, that i um, um, you know, I'm just going to turn into coaching, you know, and focus on that. Yeah, okay, okay. Interesting. Very interesting. I actually wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't the schedule. I'm, yeah. um, that answer I was expecting, so that was actually much more interesting than obviously <laughs> the depicted answer I was depicted. Okay, good stuff. Michael, when you joined uh, Portland, I believe you were 25 years old at the time, and uh, you know you're a standout defender at the University of Dayton from 1999 to 2003. You're freshman of the year. You were chosen for the Atlantic team, uh, all tournament team. Um, and you know, Chris Agnello said had really high praise for you. He said that you're strong, you're a steady player, and the signing definitely makes the club quicker at the back. Were those more features that you felt were your key points, or was there more to your game than that? Yeah, I think, you know, there's some intangibles. I always consider myself a, a, a good leader uh, and a team player, so, you know, I, I never I never really try to put 
myself first. I was uh, I was coming in there to hopefully help the environment become more professional. I knew Chris was uh, it was his first year with the club, so I wanted to make sure that I could help uh, add some value with my experience coming from LA. Um, before Chris, I ended up converting to center back for my time there, but I was a I was more of an attacking left back that liked to score more goals than, than defend. Really, to be honest. But I'm kind of that in-between six-foot, six-one uh, that can kind of convert and do a little bit of both. Um, so I felt like my strength was probably more attacking from the wing um, uh, in the past. But as I got 25, you know, it's more about, okay, how can I affect the team a little bit more? How can I help? And uh, in Portland, it, it ended up being from, um, from the center back position, maybe about halfway through the season. Mm. Did you always want to play for the Nigerian national team, mate? Because, I mean, when I look at the United States squad back in 2006, for example, and you've got players like Chirundolo and Bocanegra and Albright and all these other players, uh, Bahalta, do you think it was a bit more difficult to get into the US national team? Or was it just like, you know, you were with your dad all the way and that's, that's the team that you wanted to represent? Yeah, well, I was kind of, at the U17 level, I was kind of in and out, you yeah. know, um, I was like an alternate uh, when they went, like uh, guys like Beasley and Donovan, uh, that team went to, they went to a trip, a Euro trip and an Asian trip, and they were gone for half of the year, and then they all moved to the IMG, you know, academy, and I was an alternate on that team, so, you know, I think things probably would have been a little different if I would have made that, but um, with Nigeria, it was more like, um, it was kind of like a coming home, I needed a good reason to go there, mm. you know, I felt like I felt like I was always drawn to it. Uh, just to understand the other side of my culture. So uh, when the opportunity came, I was really excited about it. I uh, didn't think twice um, about doing it. Uh, some of the um, players there were like, hey, what, I mean, what's your interest coming here? You know, like, Why wouldn't you want to play in the U.S. and, wh- and where you're born? And I'm like, you know, this is, this is great for me, man. This is like a, a homecoming for me. And I was able to see some family, some family and people I hadn't met, you know, uh, in my lifetime. So it, it was great, man. It was what that experience. So, uh, Fantastic. Well, when did you decide to go into coaching? Because I know you've got your UEFA coaching badges along with the USSF national qualifications. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so basically, I, you know, at the end of my Portland uh, year, I I hurt my MCL pretty bad, you know, and I was kind of trying to recover from that and in between seasons, and I was with Whitecaps in preseason, and I ended up signing with Virginia Beach uh, with uh, Colin Clark. Uh, and they folded during preseason, you know. So he went on to uh, Puerto Rico, and I was just getting married, and it was like, yeah, I can't, I can't go to Puerto Rico. Uh, so he actually, he actually called FC Dallas for me and got me sent there. And I was just kind of on a long trial there, and uh, they weren't making a decision fast enough for me. So I decided to go back to my hometown of Tulsa and uh, start coaching. You know, my uh, my dad started a club there. So it was an opportunity for me for just to cut my teeth, and right away I started coaching two or three youth teams at a time. And ever since then, was that 2007, 2008, I, I, I was coaching two or three, sometimes even four youth teams at a time for the last 12 years, almost 12 years. Wow! So uh, it's been a, it's been it was a real grind, you know. And I, I just wanted to make sure every year that I tried to improve. So I, I took some opportunities that maybe people thought were too much. You know, too many teams or a bad team or, you know, or teams that are high maintenance. But I just took every experience that I could. And then, I, you know, once I got into the licensing program, you know, I was 
it was nonstop. You know, it was like whatever I can do, I'm doing every year. I want to do something to uh, to improve my my CV and my understanding. So, uh, yeah. So I was drawn to the UA. But once I finished my uh, USSS in 2012. I felt like right away I needed to do something more, so I started my way for badges uh, with uh, Ireland, Republic of Ireland. Oh, right, okay. Oh, okay. Interesting. So how in um, then, Michael, did the uh, Tulsa Roughnecks role come about as the um, director of coaching? And then obviously now, obviously, you have the, the head coaching role. How did, how did that come about? Were you headhunted or did you put an application? How did... Yeah, no. It's uh, when, when the team came. Uh, when the team came into Tulsa, I think it's 2015 when it started again. You know, I felt like I was ready. You know, um, but you know, in, in the U.S. as a youth academy coach for for 10 years or so, it doesn't really equate to a lot of people that you're you're ready for a pro job right away. And I, I can understand that. Uh, so I was happy to put in my resume. Uh, they felt like, hey, maybe you're, you're a local guy. I mean, you can be a, an assistant, yeah. you know. And uh, so I was, I was happy to do that part and support the coach any way possible, and then uh, try to help him a little bit more than he asked. Even, you know, hey, let me show you some opposition analysis that I can do or some video work that I can do, and just try to take on bigger, bigger roles just to practice, you know, for myself. And uh, so I was able to do a lot of that, and he he allowed me to do a lot of that. Bodrell, David Bodrell, the previous coach. Uh, so. I was just able to, you know, just kind of continue to help. And I think people just saw me working hard, you know, and doing more than what was asked. Uh, so when he was let go, uh, they asked me to take the interim position. And, you know, I was happy to accept because, honestly, um, I don't, I, I can imagine a better opportunity for me in Tulsa, in my own hometown, uh, to yeah. coach pro, to get my start in a professional game. So I, I was excited about jumping into that. And that was probably the best thing that I could, could imagine. Excellent, excellent. Now, um, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Michael. Is it correct that um, Donovan Ricketts is part of your coaching staff? Yeah, yeah. Donovan, Donovan is. He's, he was my goalkeeper coach in the interim with the Bodrell coming on, and I kept him there. And I'm looking forward to him taking a bigger role. He'll be the goalkeeper coach also, and more of a first assistant type role in this next coming year. So uh, we'll be looking forward to him. Uh, be, taking a more active role, not just goalkeeping, but you know, getting all of ex- his experience uh, and leadership also uh, affecting more players than just the goalkeepers. Oh, excellent, excellent! Because yeah, we know about him. He spent a bit of time um, playing over here for uh, Bradford City. So um, yeah, Bradford City, and I think he did a, maybe a little bit of time. Uh, where else was he? That's, yeah, that's interesting. Was that, was that Michael? Sorry. Yeah, I said he was. Where else was he playing? I think he played. I think he said he had a brief stint under Sam Allardyce. At Bolton, was it at Bolton? At Bolton, Bolton yeah. yeah, he was at Bolton. Yeah, yeah he did a brief, brief period at Bolton, also. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, he got, got some stories. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Michael, let me take you back to when you were doing your youth coaching. Um, in the UK, grassroots football is suffering. Um, there's a lot of how shall we say, under-investment, uh, pitches aren't good enough, uh, clubs can't afford kits. So unless your child is playing for a top-level club like an Arsenal, like a Tottenham, they're not going to uh, get the development that they require unless they've got coaches there that are very, very dedicated and the clubs can afford to take a loss. What's it like in America? Because as far as I understand, it can be quite expensive for kids to be in youth academies. Is that correct? 
Yeah, so, I mean, you're dealing with the opposite problem here. I mean, we have, I mean, bitches, oh my gosh, man. I mean, we, sometimes I, I think the kids don't deserve so much, you know, it's, uh -huh. it's unbelievable. <laughs> but, but, but at the same time, they, they pay for it. So whether it's 150 or 200 a month plus traveling and, you know, all these things, you know, it, it adds up. Uh, so I, I feel like on the business side of it, you know, we get a lot of uh, European coaches and British coaches that come that's like, you can make a living coaching youth football in the U.S. for sure. Uh, a good living. And, you know, you travel to nice places. And, you know, I think what the issue is, is is a lot of the quality of the coaches isn't that great. So I think uh, we have all of the facilities in the U.S., which a lot of people know and understand, but we, we really have to catch up and get more coaches that are willing to go and do a little bit extra on the coaching licenses or go, go observe some of the top clubs in the world and, you know, uh, no, the licenses are expensive for coaches, too, so it's difficult. You know, I'm, I'm saying that, but it was difficult for me. Uh, my club supported me quite a bit, but I wanted to do those things. So but there, it just needs to be more coaches that want to step outside of the box, their comfort zone. We're making a nice living. Why not go and figure out a little bit more uh, what we're doing, people are doing in the world and, and bring that back and to help the players develop. Do you think that's kind of hindered the U.S. men's national team development, the cost of work? Because obviously it's a different era now, obviously. So, you know, you're, the likes of Clint Dempsey and your Winalders and Landon Donovans, that was, they're in their late 30s, so to speak. So yeah. I don't think that applies to them so much. But when it comes to the, the youngsters now, I mean, there's quite a few that play abroad in Germany. Obviously, thanks to Jurgen Klinsmann and his uh, philosophy, so to speak. You've got George Weyers, yeah. uh, is it his son uh, or is it his nephew? Yeah, I can't his remember. Son, his, it's son, his son, his son, his play, playing, playing, well, he's, he plays for the US national team. But do you think the costs are going to affect uh, the, the national team long term? Or is it that the US is such a massive country that eventually they will get it right? I think I think the problem they're having now the the U.S. the Federation uh, made took a big initiative um, I think maybe 2007 2008 to start the development academy right. which the MLS club the MLS clubs and other clubs uh, participate in supposedly the elite clubs and they're meant to not pay so I think that takes the pay to play model out of the equation for the academies that can afford it you know and those are the big ones that have either MLS money backing or or they have you know five six teams per age group that still pay and pay for the top players i mean so at that level it's helping there but the problem is the u.s is so big that you're you get overlooked you, i mean so many good players are getting overlooked uh because it's an elite uh you know window of opportunity with the development academy that they're missing so many good players in Tulsa, for example, I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of the best players worldwide, DA, or nationwide, Development Academy. We have players in Tulsa that definitely deserve a look, but, you know, we're not getting technical advisors to come here, you know, to scout these players. You know, so we're having to try to push them into different markets, into different clubs uh, for them to, to get an opportunity. So I think there's just not enough good staff uh, to, to cover the U.S. They haven't figured that part out. To, to cast the net big enough to find the right players. Mm. Wasn't there a new rule that was implemented where, where clubs had to kind of start organizing teams according to the player's birth year rather than their academic year? Yeah, yeah, that that's happened. I think I think we're about uh, maybe four, three years, maybe three mm. years. We've been we've been with that. I think that that's been great. You know, I think it's great from a youth coaching perspective because 
when I was coaching players from an academic year, once the players were seniors and they were, you know, either they signed or they did, with a university or they didn't sign with the university, either way they were done, you know. Uh, so that last year was a waste, and you know, and, and the players that were supposed to go into college, you know, they kind of suffered for that last spring. And then uh, it just kind of got a little bit careless in the last year. This this opportunity is like uh, you have some juniors, you have some seniors, so they kind of push each other a little bit longer. Um, I, I think I think it makes total sense. You know, I was a big I was a big proponent of it, so I think it's been a benefit to us to get on the calendar like everyone else. Mm. There's this argument where uh, I don't know college basketball coaches are, are still scouting players at gyms or you know in 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 the in the yard so to speak, whereas. The, the soccer coaches are going to these tournaments to, to uh, scout players. Uh, are there enough kids playing soccer on, on at parks or in fields and whatnot so they, they could be scouted easier? No. I, I mean, we just... That culture is just not here yet. Mm. You know, it's... Uh, I mean, it's... I mean, you have it. It's hit and miss in certain cities. I mean, in L.A., they're going to be doing that. And there's this big culture, to be honest, in Atlanta that's happening. You know, there's South Texas, North Texas, or some of that. And, you know, when you have some third-generation soccer players, that happens in their small community, their family. But it's not not enough that it's just you can just go and play pickup anytime you want, you know, all time of the year. Uh, That's not... That's not there, but there's enough club systems. I mean, the U.S. We're very structured, you know. We have we have so many clubs, so many coaches. You know, it's 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 easy to go and find a tournament and find out who's invested in playing. Um, but I I, feel, I do feel like these these uh, these families that their their grandpa played and dad played now the the son is playing. They're they're also they find their way to those academies also. So I don't think we're missing. You know, street soccer players. I don't. I don't think that's happening at all. Great stuff. Well, I've got two more quick questions, Michael. Um, I think this this might be a, a longer answer than than you expect, really. I'm interested to hear your opinions on the the revamped USL leagues. I mean, some say it's a gimmick; others believe it's a marketing tactic to kind of convince fans that the leagues are connected. Then there are those who think it will be beneficial in the long term. What What are your views on this revamp? Yeah, I think you know. I think it's just. The structure is great. I mean, it's, it's there's clarity in the level, you know. I think which is it's kind of been muddy water in the U.S. You know, in the past with the the NASL and MLS, USL, NPSL. I mean, there's there's like a ton of these different the PDL, which is a part of USL. I mean, it's just I think it just gives clarity to what uh, they're doing uh, in their pathway. I think uh, I think they show they're showing that they offer something at every level, and and maybe maybe there's players that touch every level. There's college players that play PDL, you know, and then maybe they end up playing at the championship, the the USL, the League One level, and maybe then they get to the championship level. I think it just it gives uh, players something identifiable to look forward to, or or at least to set a goal to try to make, you know, so if I'm a college player, I feel like, hey, I need to be playing PDL because I might get scouted by USL, yeah. you know, MLS, MLS right out of college isn't for everyone, you know, and, and college isn't for, for everyone, so, you know, I think this is an opportunity for, for kids that aren't even in college to jump in at some level and start, you know, sharpening their tools at a, at a pro level, whether it's a, a lower level or the championship level of USL, I think it's great, you know, I think, I think it really, um, I think it speaks to the, you know, what we want in the U.S., I mean, we, we do, I 
for the most part, uh, coaches and players alike. I think we, we want to make that next step that we're competitive and people understand what we're doing here. You know, um, so I think that's a big step, and I think they I think they got it right with what they're doing. Fantastic. And um, speaking of the USA, I believe that there are many teams with affiliates. Uh, Tulsa's one is uh, Chicago Fire, I believe, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. How's that uh, agreement going with you guys? Uh, how's it going? We're, we won't do it next year. Oh wow! How's it going? Okay. Uh, but no, no, it's uh, it went it went well. I think when we started it two years ago. I mean, they had a lot of good players they loaned out, you know, and it was, I mean, it was really beneficial. Uh, this last year, I think they had a tough year, Chicago did, and they got hit with a lot of energy, or a lot of injury, injuries, and which kind of affected our business side of it also. So when you, I think when you kind of, you're relying on someone to fill a void of four or five players and, you know, two or three of them being key players potentially, uh, and that doesn't happen, then... I mean, your, your season, as you've seen Tulsa last year, kind of really struggles uh, because of the players that you were expecting, in, you know, to come in. And it just didn't happen. It wasn't Chicago's fault. I mean, they got they got hit with injuries, and they had a tough year also. Um, so I, next year going forward, we won't. Um, I think we just want to have an understanding when we go into the season that this is what we'll be working with. I, it's not this we won't do something with Chicago. Uh, FC Dallas actually loaned us probably the most players last year. We wow. had a good relationship with FC Dallas, and we had uh, Jesus Ferreira and uh, Brandon Sabania, uh, who are who are top-notch players that I think FC Dallas really want to continue to develop to, so they can play there. Uh, and with she coaching at FC Dallas now, I think those guys will get a good opportunity. So I think we want to be open, not just work with one. Uh, we want to be open uh, to other MLS clubs as well, uh, and maybe Chicago probably. There's a this club's a little bit closer to them, like Indy 11, that uh, probably a little bit more convenient for their uh, structure as well. Superb. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, just a couple. I wanted to um, finish up with uh, Mike before um, we let you go. Um, in regards to being a black coach, is there any difficulties that you faced Man, I, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, the short answer is yes. Uh, I mean, I you know, for me, I was always uh, in Tulsa, always looking for this, this opportunity, and I never, uh, you know, where is it going to come from? I'm, I'm in middle of America, black coach in, in Tulsa, and I, I didn't really see a way. And maybe that's why I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, and I decided to get out of my comfort zone out of Europe. Island, you know, and there wasn't a lot of black coaches doing those UEFA badges either, you know. Uh, so I, I, I'd like to say, you know, if, if there's an opportunity, you know, I think we're prepared for it. I don't think it's a, you know, I, I would like to be optimistic. Yeah. Uh, and say that we're open, you know, in the U.S. in particular. Um, I've gotten a lot of calls from African American coaches saying that I've inspired them or I, they appreciate what I'm doing or they're, they're supporting me or they're hoping that it goes well, you know, um, and I appreciate that, you know, um, there's, there's, there's not many mentors uh, for me to look up to from that aspect either, you know, in England there's a couple guys uh, that I, I try to follow, uh, like Darren Moore and Chris Ott, you know, guys like that, um, um, but there's not a lot of us in the U.S., uh, you know, in the MLS side, we had Vieira, and, and MLS, and that's that was it, you know. Yeah. So 
in the US, USL, there's a, there's a, it's very, um, there's, there's only about three or three of two or three of us, and then there's some assistants. So, um, and there's a lot of us playing, you know, so that, that want a coach, you know, so I don't know. I think, uh, something needs to be done hundred percent. Uh, you look at this, I just, I just see the same coaches, uh, you know, they get jobs over and over again. It's just kind of cycled over and over again. And, um, uh, you know, so if you don't get in that cycle, then it doesn't work out for you. You know what? There's not, there's not any black guys in that cycle. So it's, it's like the game is locked. Um, so for me, I, I just I'm humbly working, humbly, you know, quietly with humility. Uh, I have an opportunity that, you know, I, I don't feel like it's just for me. It's a, it's an opportunity for Tulsa as well. I'm a Tulsa guy first, you know, and I'm an African-American also, which is, which, you know, for a lot of people, I, I kind of carry that on my shoulders uh, 100%. And I, 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 I make no, uh, I don't hide that at all, you know. Uh, and I do feel like, to be honest, that, you know, our first two signings, you've seen uh, uh, Cyprian Hedrick and A.J. Jaqua. There's a lot of African and African-American players that are that calling me that want to play for me. You know, that they have, haven't had that experience. You know what I mean? Like, honestly, I'm like, well, I, to be honest, I never thought of it from that aspect. I was a player, and I, I was I was fortunate as a youth coach. My dad was a coach, but a lot of players just have never even had uh, an African-American coach. And they, maybe this guy, you know, gives me an opportunity or understands kind of, you know, uh, something a little bit more about me, you know, uh, or it can be a mentor, a mentor that looks like me. Uh, so... You know, it's a, it's a position I'm not taking lightly uh, because I understand where myself, uh, I've been blessed with an opportunity that, uh, you know, I feel like if it doesn't go well, maybe maybe it uh, doesn't go well for others either. So I'm trying to do the best I can. Excellent. So obviously in American football, for instance, they've got the Rooney rule. Is that something that you'd like to see introduced to um, to soccer, to football over there as well? Or would you like others to work their way up a bit yeah. differently? Yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, I guess in in in, in the UK and your guys, I, I heard they introduced something. I think there has to be an interview for some position on the staff. Is mm. that what you guys are doing? Yeah, because the, is there, that's is there the problem a I see over here in um, in the UK as well. Because in terms of like the head manager role, head coach, there's only a few um, black. Um, Play, uh, people that are in there and usually they're ex-players but if you go down yeah. to the levels to under 23 for instance then you will see a lot of more black coaches with those jobs those lesser known jobs let's call them but the head level yeah, yeah. even over here still there's nothing close quite yet to a rule or anything like that which is why yeah. we're still having these integral problems with trying to get more um, blacks into management and coaching yeah, yeah. So I mean, I would, I would like to see one. I mean, I would like to see at least. I think the Rooney Rule is about you know just giving, giving an interview. You know, like I mean, why not? I mean, how hard, how hard is it to say, okay, we're going to give some minorities just a chance to interview? I think that's great experience in itself for a coach just to be, sit down with the president or board and you know and be able to discuss your thoughts and prepare yourself for an opportunity so uh, I think getting two or three of those maybe by the third one you, you hit a home run you know what I mean you know so I, I think I think there, there should be something that you need to interview or at least look into um, 
you know, hiring black or African coaches. I think the U. The, I think the USSF. I think the federation needs to. They, I hear they have a two hundred million dollar surplus. How about invest in minority coaches? Since they, we like to talk about, we want the Hispanic and the black population playing. You know, we want the black players to leave basketball and football. You know, to play soccer, but. There's no, there's no one identifiable that looks like them that are, you know, that are coaches or mentors. So, uh, I'll put an initiative in place that, uh, you know, some of these coaches that are eager to do it, they get their licensing, you know, uh, they get an opportunity. So that maybe encourages uh, more players to even come into the sport. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, hopefully there will be some ch- um, some change um, in regards to the system. So yeah, just wanted to end on. Um, basically, what you yourself, what you spoke partially um, already about them. What are your personal goals um, for the long term? Do you would you like to coach abroad or? Um... He's he's a Chelsea fan, so I think you want Sari's job. <laughs> yeah, no, he's doing like a good job, man. He's doing a good job. He's safe. He's safe for now. He's safe for now. <laughs> for now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, my my answer always for that is, I mean, I want I, I want to be the best coach possible. Uh, I don't, I'm not. I don't want to say I want to be the best coach in the United States or anything like that. I just want to be the best version of myself, and I, I think, and I'm hungry to do that, and I'll, I'll take every opportunity to do that. Um, I'm, I was actually hoping. To get into my pro license, and you know, and uh, to be honest, I I was declined, which I was pretty shocked by being a pro coach. Um, you know, and I have my USSFA and my UFA badges, and I have experience as an assistant. You know, in the USL, and I, I couldn't get into my own federation uh, pro license. So, you know, I I really think that I just want to continue to inspire, to continue to improve. I'll take this next year uh, with both hands. Uh, and just see where it takes me. You know, obviously, I would I would love to to be an MLS coach. I'd love to, you know, if the opportunity arises to coach in Europe, 100. percent I would I would take those opportunities. Uh, but right now, I'm just starting with the Roughnecks, and you know, I, I need to have a good season. And I, don't, I think it's less about talking and more about doing. So I try not to share it with too much people. Too many people, my goals. I just, you know, I just want to focus <laughs> on improving for you. Excellent. Great Excellent. answer, mate. Great answer. Well, Michael, thank you ever so much for your time, mate. Really, really appreciate it. I hope you can come back on the show at some point. Maybe we can talk a bit of Chelsea, talk about the Premier League and, and other yeah. European matters. What do you say? Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, Maria got sacked today. Uh, I'm, I'm a little I'm a little uh, hot and cold about that. You know, I'm, I was a fan, you know, obviously when he was with Chelsea and it, it seemed just to go wrong for him. Ever since, you know, um, would love to get back on. And I do appreciate you guys asking important questions, especially, you know, uh, in, in the subject matters that you discussed today. That means a lot also. Uh, and I appreciate you guys calling me and bringing me on. Hey, pleasure's all ours, Michael. Thank you very much. Before we let you go, would you like to tell our listeners your Twitter handle? Because I believe you, you're quite active on, on the old Twitters. <laughs> Yeah, you can find me at Michael Lincian. I'm on Instagram. I mean, Michael Lin6, uh, all that stuff. I'm old, so I'm on Facebook also. You know, I guess I'm not that old. But, well, uh, you're, you're, I think I'll, you're younger than us. I think you're younger than us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, try to stay bu- I try to stay busy on it, you know, and catch up with people because, you know, life's so busy. That's like, I feel like that's the only way I can kind of keep up with people sometimes. So uh, <laughs> feel free to send me out on that stuff. I, I love to have a little banter once in a while with people and catch up. Fantastic. Well, Michael, thank you ever so much for your time, mate. And we'll definitely catch up soon. Good luck for the, for the coming season. 
Thank you, mate. Cheers. Yeah. All the best. Thanks, mate. All the best. Take care. Try. Right, that was Marco Encien. We finally uh, figured out how to pronounce his name. Thank goodness he was uh, <laughs> kind enough to tell us. Uh, D, before I let you go, Twitter handle, mate? Uh, Twitter handle um, at double D that's D-U-B-U-L-D-E-E that's on Twitter Insta SoundCloud everything <laughs> and, and when is uh, your next show coming out mate because you're due at one, the right? show I'm uh, obviously part of the D&D football factory with um, D-Man Big Sam FB, Goliath FBJ we are next on air on Saturday morning 10am well, well every Saturday 10am on ontopfm.net um, probably best to get that on tuning on the tuning app um, on top FM and our Twitter handle is at dd factory underscore superb well we're on Twitter at shoot the defense please feel free to follow our lovely partners FNX network give them a follow and all the other shows that are linked with the FNX network you have obviously your show uh, D you've yep. got the yeah. Sofa Sports News we have the One Up Front podcast. We have Talking Balls. We have Three in Midfield. We have a whole a Bros Talking Soccer. We've got a whole bunch of shows. So if you love football, FNX Network. FNX Network is the one. So we've got still secret sauce too. Yes, yes. Sorry, I'm, where are my manners? <laughs> yes. Visit stellsecretsauce.co.uk. You will get your betting tips for the coming games. Um, the summer at the weekend there's also the Christmas games uh, yeah so 9.99 will get you four rounds worth of games so you've got Premier League Bundesliga Serie A Eredivisie I know they've got their winter break but when they when they come back you've got those bets there I think with the weekend it was 8 out of 9 correct so it's not bad not bad going so yeah stellsecretsource.co.uk subscribe and until next time guys ciao excellent thanks guys